0: Welcome to episode 8 of the Inside the Journey podcast as we continue our conversation with ProBuscada co founder Ralph Sprinkles. Last week we discussed Father John Cortina and the work that he and Ralph did to help the people of the Department of Chalatenango participate in the Truth Commission report a process which documented atrocities of the war after the 1992 peace accords. This week we'll talk about how that work led to Probusqueda's ongoing search for children who disappeared in the Salvadoran Civil War. There's about a minute and a half of overlap between the two episodes. Thanks for listening and here we go.
1: One case that particularly drew our attention was the case of a military operation that occurred in 1992 in Chalatenango. Or 82, you mean? In, in which the, we uh, learned that the military had separated children from the adults and had subsequently put the children in helicopters and had started to kill the adults. And we yeah you know, we were surprised to a certain extent we were surprised to hear this because we hadn't really heard about a case like that before working on 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 human rights issues in El Salvador and we started to wonder what had happened to these children and we found that also the families that presented these cases they wanted to know when it happened at the time in amidst in, in the midst of terror the families. Many of the families thought you know these children have been murdered. they were thrown out of the helicopter or they were, but as time uh, went on uh, they they started to doubt what if my children are still alive? What if you know they weren't murdered but they were taken somewhere else Of course, many family uh, many direct families members members did not survive the military operation. A number of them did. You know, some people were able to flee and others because they were not there at the time etc but also uh, many people died in this military operation so the direct relatives of these children that had been disappeared were not always were not always there to be able to consult them but in all when we had finished the work for the truth commission we had there was a group of families in Chalatenango who had lost their children in this military operation and then we also soon started to learn about other military operations Mm -hmm. in which similar things had happened. Uh, We lobbied with the Truth Commission in order for them to put the topic of disappeared children in the report. The report was presented in March 1993 and uh, unfortunately even though it did mention and it did clarify a lot of important uh, cases for Salvadoran history, unfortunately it did not mention the topic of disappeared children. Mm. So we later learned that in the logic of the Truth Commission the way that the cases were identified as exemplary cases that were to be researched in depth was also a sort of negotiation between cases responding to military responsibility and also cases responding to the responsibility of the guerrilla fighters, which were, which had also committed uh, several assassinations during the, the Civil War. So rather than going in-depth about what they had found in these different communities, the Truth Commission decided to present in-depth findings only on these exemplary cases. And they did not mention the other cases. And they did not mention the the topic of disappeared children. What they did mention was that thousands of people uh, had been disappeared during the Salvadoran Civil War, and that these people, their whereabouts were still unknown. So they did recommend to establish some mechanism of clarification on the whereabouts of these people by judicial reform and finding a way to address these cases in the the judicial system or by the establishment of a particular commission but unfortunately this recommendation was not followed up by the Salvadoran government. What happened when the Truth Commission report was presented publicly was a a, quite a racket because the Salvadoran army rejected uh, the report. They said it was um, deceitful and filled with lies and uh, not objective, etc. And they, they were very, very dismissive of, dismissive of the report. And they made clear that if uh, the Salvadoran government would fulfill all the recommendations of the report, they would not have the support of the military to do it. Also the FMLM, the main opposition party, the former guerrilla movement, and after the peace accords, it turned into the main opposition, main political opposition force. They also did not insist very much on complying with the recommendations of the Truth Commission because they also had been singled out in the report Mm -hmm. as having committed some human rights violations. Not to the extent that the military did. The Salvadoran guerrillas were responsible, according to the Truth Commission, for 5% of the atrocities that, that took place during the war. While as the government and the paramilitary forces were responsible for the remaining Uh, violations. But that said, of course, in any given case, should there be a legal persecution, the uh, former guerrilla leadership would also be vulnerable of being indicted for the crimes that they had committed. So this made it not so very attractive for the FMLN to continue to lobby for uh, the implementation of the recommendations of the truth commission. What what was important for us, for Joan Cortina and myself, working from Chalatenango, was particularly that there was no clear repair mechanism for the people that had been victimized. So the truth commission said something about there's a need to repair. One of our recommendations is that the, the that the government uh, should design a mechanism to repair those uh, to repair the victims and the families, but since these recommendations were not complied with, this never happened. so we were very concerned that these people who had finally been able to 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 speak out and finally presented their cases uh, after so many years would still find that nothing would be done with their cases and that they would receive no form of justice nor reparation for their cases which we thought was unacceptable unacceptable we thought
2: so so before you before you go into pro b i just wanted to kind of give my reaction to some of what you just said cuz i'm learning this for the first time too Okay. And what what struck me was one the the phrase the the sea from the fishes, sort of set you know and it's what strikes me about that is it sort of it takes away the human element it it, it says we're not you know these people are are just things that we can remove you know it's like an element we can just take the water away and then we have the fishes left mm-hmm. but the, the water are the people the villagers of Chalitonango in these communities, you know, so that analogy in itself is very striking to me as you know the mindset on on how people could do things like this, you know. And and I think like if, if you're talking about people as water, then maybe it makes it easier, you know. So that was one thought. And then the other thought that, that came to mind was I guess I've always assumed that people knew that the children were being taken and that this was kind of in, in the dialogue or something that, that wasn't talk, talked about but people knew about. And it sounds to me that w- what you're saying is that it wasn't until all these people came to tell their stories that you started hearing bits and pieces that children were taken, and that was sort of the genesis to start these, these deeper investigations. And that is a surprise to me.
0: Yes. It's also, it's also yeah. worth noting when they came forward, this is a decade after their children went missing. Um, Ten years had elapsed, and, and I just wanted to throw that in there.
2: Yeah, so they've yeah. been living with this for, for a long time before they can even get to tell anyone, and I think that was your point of this was, um, you know, they were relieved to be able to to talk about it openly for the first time.
1: Yeah, and, and, and in the cases that the people presented there were concrete issues that they wanted some kind of resolution for, some kind of of action being taken. If if you present a case of someone having disappeared and you are you have not been able to talk about it for ten years and you finally do, you do it with the idea that action will be taken in order to address this disappearance and to find, to clarify what happened and this was also the case with the families that presented the cases of the disappeared children of course. Also the families that presented uh, cases of people having been assassinated had expectations of justice, of some kind of reparation. But also sometimes very concrete things like being able to have an exhumation of the remainders and a proper burial for their loved ones, things very, very concrete. So, uh, uh, if if after an, an episode of terror, if you have a, a, a mechanism for a redress, such as a truth commission, uh, this will, you know, th- this this can have a healing effect. On, on people, on communities, on the society. But you do need to have a follow up on all these different mechanisms of, of redress. That's something that um, in the Salvadoran case did not happen. And that's why actually Pro Busquera was born. Because Pro Busquera, when we learned that the case of disappeared children was not. Uh, taken up in in the two commission report, we were at first we were we were very disappointed, of course. But we were also very surprised, and then we said, well, then we will have to raise the issue ourselves. So John Cortina and I, we, we did several things, and other people also that that supported our work in in Chalatenango. We We um, we went we we talked with several human rights groups in San Salvador about this issue and um, what struck us that was that they had a hard time believing us you know they had a hard time believing that the issue of disappeared children was really such a, an important issue and uh, they did not believe that there would be tens or, or or dozens or hundreds of children that had disappeared they said well you know there were massacres, so everybody was killed. That was the ID, the dominant uh, ID within the the human rights community in El Salvador. And of course, in the El Mozote massacre, for example, uh, where the largest massacre that occurred in El Salvador in 1981, in which over a thousand people were murdered, it is well known and documented that also children were assassinated in that massacre. And this was also documented again by the Tooth Commission. Uh, So it is also understandable that people say, well, you know, the children were not disappeared, they were not taken away, they were murdered. And if they disappeared, it means that they were murdered elsewhere, but they were still murdered. But we, because of the exact circumstances of what had happened with these children being taken away in helicopters in Chalatenango and because we were gathering data and information from the families but also for example from people living elsewhere outside of the, outside of the areas where the military operation took place, for example we went and we talked to the people living outside of the military headquarters in Chalatenango and we asked them have you ever seen the military arriving here to the, the barracks with children? That they took children from their op- military operation and brought them into, into the military base. And several people said yes, we have seen that. And then what happened to the, what happened to these children, we asked. Well then later they took them away again. So all these different uh, pieces and bits of information uh, that we were gathering at the time uh, started to convince us uh, increasingly that the military had kidnapped a significant amount of children during the Salvadoran Civil War and that there was a probability that these children might be alive. When we found that you know, there was some skepticism in some uh, human rights uh, organizations about whether uh, this actually happened or or whether we would actually be able to research it or whether we would would be able to have results, we uh, decided to set up an organization ourselves. Uh, With the the help of some people uh, human rights activists in San Salvador, but working mainly from Jalatanango in the beginning, and uh but the first thing we did was to try and document all the cases of all the families in Chalatenango, specifically focusing on the disappeared children. At the time we were also doing other things. We were also, for example, taking the Truth Commission report to all the communities of Chalatenango for them to see the report and to know it, to know about it. You know, to because um if if it is such an important document and if if, if it just uh, if you don't actively promote uh, such a document in the communities, many people will not know about it or people might have questions about the document and you know, so we had a line of work around communication and promotion of of the contents of the tooth Commission report. But we also worked on on a specific research project for disappeared children, and in late 1993, this resulted through a series of coincidences, uh, partially through our efforts and partially uh, also because of of other circumstances, because of a family member of one of the children that was disappeared. That suspected that that her uh, his family member might be at an orphanage, and these two things, these two bits, th- this information came to us, and then we. This was late 1993. Prabushka did not exist yet, but when this information came about some of the children, some child. Well, in first it was just one child, one child with certain characteristics that had disappeared during the war. Might be at an orphanage in in San Salvador, not near the capital city. Uh, when that news came to us, we immediately organized uh, a group of families that were searching for their children that had been kidnapped during that same military operation in which this uh, alleged disappar- disappeared person had been kidnapped, and we all we arranged to. Um, to get a, a, a truck from the community, and we all went to San Salvador. We had a truck full of people, and we went to the orphanage. And we, we uh, presented ourselves there without having calls, without anything. <laughs> and we just said, yeah, we, we asked for the director, and we told, we told what we had learned, and we told what our story was. And then it, it, the, a long process began. We actually had to call in the United Nations in order to mediate, and because the orphanage was not very happy with our with our presence there. But in the following weeks, we were able uh, to confirm the identity of five children that were at the orphanage that had been kidnapped uh, in a military raid in 1982 in Chalatenango. Uh, we arranged for a reencounter of these five children with their uh, birth families in a village in Chalatenango, which took place in January 1994 and this was a huge event not only the community where we did the the reencounter but you know people from other communities also came to to witness the miracle of of this of these children having been found again after so many years and it was also the start of a, a true wave of, of, of people coming from Chalatenango, but also from other parts of San Salvador, uh, of El Salvador, to, to come and look for us to present their cases. Because they also had disappeared children. And they now also believed that they might be alive because they had witnessed these other children returning or they had heard about these other children returning to their families
0: including nelson's grandmother
1: including eventually nelson's grandmother yes
2: Mm -hmm. so as you're telling this story it what strikes me is that you almost sort of fell into this role where you hear that this this orphanage might have the people that you're looking for and you just kind of climb in the truck and go down there but you know i i guess um from my side when we were reunited you know we're being told so and so is the lead investigator and you think okay you know this is something that they chose to do but it almost sounds like you just fell into it
1: oh yes that's <laughs> well i but i chose to work on human rights in el salvador and then uh i i, I the issue of disappeared children just sort of came on our path and uh, and it with these developments, as I am telling you now, it, it was uh, impossible for us not to continue uh, with this work. It is, uh, human rights work is very demanding, because it is very rare in, in human rights work uh, that you can actually get justice done, or see redress, or solve a case. Or uh, the, the the people that you work with, and that doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. Definitely, it's very much, it's very worthwhile, and it's work that needs to be done. But what is um, what was very uh, motivating for us in this work was when we found this issue of disappeared children. Where we were actually able to facilitate to to identify children and facilitate reencounters with their birth family, and the entire process that came with this, you know, for for the families uh, involved, this was you know the biggest thing that had happened to them to find their children again. Almost without exception, it was the biggest. It was you know a, a life-defining event for them, and. So it was also for the the children being found, although it wasn't always easy for them to process, but it was always a very important moment in their lives, no doubt. Often with with mixed feelings also, (laughs) but so it it, it was very uh, clear for us that uh, this was an important issue, uh, that it was an issue that had been neglected. and that it was a major human rights issue uh, that needed to be addressed in post-war El Salvador as other issues also needed to be addressed but the difference with this issue was that we felt that we could make a difference and we could get it addressed better than other issues that were still on the table and this effectively proved to be right because Vilbozka was able to after these initial stages that I'm talking, and um, I was just telling you about, Pavuska was able to quite rapidly grow into a, a rather you know a larger organization. I remember in, in nineteen ninety seven I think we had about twenty five people on staff, so you know it grew quickly, and we were able to get support for a research program, for a family reintegration program that enabled us in, in the years following the first re-encounter in Chalatenango in 1994, that enabled us to do hundreds, to to document hundreds of cases more, identify in the range of, of 200 uh, children and facilitate dozens of re-encounters with birth families.
2: I- I was just going to say, you know, it it, it certainly was a life-changing event for me and members of my family, you know, in the first eight minutes of the film, my aunt talks about how much it meant to my grandmother to see me again. You know, she spent...
0: Not again, for the
2: first time. Yes, that's true. Very true. For the first time, you know, she spent... uh, 14 years wondering where i was or 16 i guess 16 years wondering where i was and then um you know having lost a daughter in the war i think for her for my grandmother finding me was you know getting that little piece back of of something that she lost in the war so um you know i just wanted to say thank you for all the work that you have done because you're you're very right it it hasn't always been easy uh, reuniting with, with family, but it's something that has meant a tremendous amount to both myself and, and to my family. So, thank you for that.
1: Well, well thank you. It was it, it, also for me, it was a, a, an incredible experience. The 10 years that I worked with it was uh, incredible, very, very uh, rich. Yeah, just a, a very important, uh, also for myself, uh, life defining experience. Yeah. Um and I'm very uh, very happy that uh that still uh it has continued its work is still uh facilitating re-encounters, still identifying children and um and in part is able to do so also because uh, of people like you because of some of the the, the formerly disappeared children have become an important important actor within Pursk, uh, and they've really uh, supported the work and and have, have given it uh, uh, credibility and strength and have inspired also the family members that are still searching for their loved ones to continue in their search so uh, I think your work uh, Nelson has also been very important to, to have been able to identify other children and to to take, bring forward the work of the and the work of human rights
2: Well, thank you. Um, I, I think that's a good place to end it. Um, you know, and and there's so much that that we want to ask you, so I think we're going to have you back again at another time. But, you, you know, because there's almost too much to, to talk about in, in one sitting. Uh, <laughs> And, and so we would we would love to have you back again at a later date. You know, I know um, you've been very gracious with your time. Tomorrow you're headed off to Guatemala and El Salvador. So you are a very busy person, but thank you so much for for coming on and, and talking with us. This has been um, amazing, and I've certainly learned a lot today.
1: No, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. And we hope um,
0: when you do come back, we hope to get to talk a little bit about Nelson's case and also your work today um, in human rights in Central America.
2: So. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, be sure to check out all of the images and links that we talked about in today's show that's on the blog in the show notes. You can Go get all that information at identifyingnelson.com. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast by going to iTunes and searching Inside the Journey. We'll pop right up. We would love to hear your feedback. You know, we keep, we keep saying this over and over, but we mean it. Uh, any kind of comment uh, would be more than welcome. You can leave us your feedback at uh, Facebook slash identifyingnelson, or you can email us at podcast at identifyingnelson.com. Uh, be sure to share this podcast with anyone you think would enjoy it. That's the best way that you can help us out uh, and spread the word about our work. Tune in next week. I think we will be actually talking about uh, what it's like living with two identities. Uh, we were going to talk about that, but then Ralph, uh, we were able to get Ralph Sprinkles. And so next week, what it's like to live with two identities. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And John Younger and cue the music.